0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You're listening to the Fantrax Radio Network. Fantasy sports lives here.
2: Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by the Fantrax Podcast Network. I am Pat Donovan, joined by the returning Nick Legatino. What's up, guys? And this week we have a very special guest replacing joe saunders we've got van lee
1: thank you happy to be here it's taken three weeks but we finally got this together so uh i think that means third time's a charm and win for a good show right
2: yeah i hope so i mean it's been quite the road trying to get you on this show uh van why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff up front so that way everybody um has an idea of where to find you
1: Sure. I'm a producer, I guess would be my role, with Fan Tracks. So I basically, everybody who does a podcast on the channel sends the information to me. I do the final editing, get it uploaded, all that stuff. So I'm kind of the liaison in that regard. I host multiple shows myself. I've got the Nasty Cast and the Fantrax Dynasty Baseball podcast with Nathan Dock and Ron Rigney. Those are weekly shows. And then I also host the Launch Angle podcast with Jeff Zimmerman and his name rob silver uh we've only had rob 20 silver, episodes yes. so how do i not know his name uh <laughs> yeah you could find us weekly as well the those two divas are a little bit to work with but we we get through and uh it turns out to be a pretty good show so i do that i write for Fantrax hq and find me on twitter at manley van lee
2: yeah van does a lot more than we do we just do this stupid show once a week
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah
0: but we have to deal with joe saunders it's so that's true a, that's a job unto itself.
1: I have to admit, I'm kind of disappointed he's not here because I'm an Angels fan. As you guys can see, I have my Angels tattoo there on my arm. Uh, And Joe Saunders was an awesome pitcher for the Angels for many years. So since he's not here, I don't get to give him crap about (laughs) sounding like Joe Saunders. Believe me, he's got plenty of that in his life.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to kick the show off tonight with some news and notes. And we have some breaking news. Bryce Harper left tonight's game uh, with... After being hit on the foot with a pitch, um, he came right out of the game. Obviously, this is a situation that bears watching. Um, You know, just check the news over the next day or so, see what comes back. I imagine he'll get his x rays done. Hopefully, it's just a bruise, but it certainly didn't look good. Um, Any thoughts there, guys?
0: Yeah, no, it didn't look good. We were watching it together. Um, he was in a lot of pain, and he didn't take his time trying to walk it out. He walked right off the field, <clears throat> right into the dugout. <clears throat> so it does not look good to me.
1: I think what I would point out, though, to if you want to have optimism is, remember earlier in the season when Freeman got hit on the same spot in the wrist, he got hit the previous year and broke it. He did the same thing, immediately walked off the field, and then it turns out he was okay. It had missed any structural damage, so he was fine. So... Be cautious because I do think he's probably hurt because Harper's one of those grit guys that sticks in no matter what. So seeing him leave that quickly is kind of telling. And if it is a bad foot injury, a break, it's four to six to eight weeks to heal. That's going to cut a chunk out of his season, and he's just going to lose that much more value.
2: Yeah, let's move it to a player that's – lost pretty much all of their value for 2018, or at least that's what the reports are. Shohei Otani diagnosed with a grade two UCL strain placed on the DL. He received a PRP injection. Um, He was going to be shut down. Uh, The latest reports have been speculating that he is going to go ahead and have the Tommy John, which will keep him out, not only for 2018, but also for 2019, obviously a major blow. And if you have him in dynasty, do you guys think that you should make plans not only for the rest of this year, but start preparing for the potential of 2019 without him?
0: I'll let you start this off, Manly Van Stanley,
1: because you're the Angels fan. Well, I think, well, first off, there are some conflicting reports. The team has still come out and said they're going to give it three weeks and see how it turns out. So I yeah. think there's a wide variety of outcomes. If he doesn't ultimately go to undergo Tommy John surgery and he has a successful rehab like Garrett Richards, I could see him hitting the rest of the season. You know, give him a few weeks off, let him bat, but don't let him field. Don't let him throw in any capacity and see if maybe next year is healed. Or if he does have the Tommy John surgery, uh, that's a 12 to 18 month recovery period for a pitcher. It's less than 12 months for a hitter. So I could see them having to come back as a hitter next year and, and going forward. So I don't think the value of Otani has dropped to zero quite yet. And the only way it does for me is if he has the surgery and the team comes out and fully says, no, we're shutting him down completely for until he's ready, in which case then, fine, you, you really need to move on and work on. But I still think there could be some value to be had, so maybe you don't have to completely cut bait, but instead just look at a fill in those pitching innings and see if you can still utilize him as a hitter.
2: Yeah, he, I, I mean, I think that the Angels organizationally have been very opposed at least in their history to, to having guys undergo this surgery. I mean, I believe that they waited Mm -hmm. a long time at Andrew Heaney as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Obviously Garrett Richards did everything that he could to avoid the injury. And this year has come out and pitched without stop knock on wood. Um, He he's been excellent, but you know, I, I agree with you. I think that there could be some value there in the bat. If they, if they decide to let him hit, my concern is, is that, so much of his value is tied to his arm that um, they might not be willing to chance it if they believe they can avoid the surgery. Um, you know, if he, if he hits and I understand that obviously Tommy John is something that, that is obviously much more involved in throwing motion than the hitting motion. Um, you know, your elbow is much more involved in in throwing or much more strain is put on your elbow and throwing. So my concern is, is that the angels kind of say, all right, well, listen, if we're going to really shut you down, we're really going to shut you down and we're going to try and fire you up next year, full throttle in terms of the arm, um, and throwing and pitching. So I don't know. I, I don't really know where, where, where this ends up coming out as, um, in dynasty. I mean, I think you certainly have to hold, um, he's still a top flight asset, regardless of the result is it's just, you might want to start, um, sniffing around for, um, guys you like in 2019 that, that might be coming up as a way to replace him for 2019 in the event he does undergo the TJ.
1: Sure, absolutely. And one thing I want to kind of touch on, because I've seen a lot of this in the various Facebook groups and whatever you see, a lot of people are just saying, why not just have a sur- hurt surgery and get it done? A lot of people are gung-ho about surgery. I think there's this disconnect among fantasy baseball fans and the real world and that we're dealing with Player, human beings is what I should say, because the only people who say 100% you should have the surgery immediately are surgeons. Everyone else in the world, every other doctor says, you really want to make surgery your last option. Even though Tommy John has gotten to be as good as it has been, we also have Chris Medlin. We also have Brandon Beachy. We have plenty of guys that we can look at who had all the talent in the world who had one Tommy John surgery, which led to another, and it just went downhill and their career will never come back. So I think if you're screaming, have the Tommy John surgery now, Garrett Richards is exactly the guy to look at to say, okay, maybe don't, and you could still be successful because he did not have it, and he's pretty good. year.
2: Yeah, and another example is Masahiro Tanaka, um, who's also landed on the DL with hamstring tightness in both legs. Uh, We're going to discuss him in detail later in the show, but I just want to run through the pitching injuries now. Steven Strasburg left his start with right shoulder soreness. He's been placed on the DL. Uh, I don't believe he has a timetable at this time. Noah Syndergaard renewed soreness and inflammation in his finger. He was pushed from Sunday. Uh, There's going to be, I believe, a report tomorrow on him. He was going to see a specialist. Chris Archer suffered a setback with his abdominal strain and has been shut down at this point. So, in total, what are you doing in redraft leagues to replace these arms? Uh, first off, I wish you wouldn't have moved past me before because this guy
0: mentioned Brandon Beachy on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> he, mentioned, he mentioned Brandon Beachy, Pat.
2: I mean, well, Nick, I saw I saw your I saw your video feed, and you looked like you were crying. I didn't want to call you out because I know that's a sore topic for you. I I just fist pumped so hard when I heard that name. <laughs> I, I, I love Sad Brandon Beachy.
1: Yeah, I love absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. So listen, there's there's a lot of good free agents out there right now. Somehow, some way, Calb Smith is only forty one percent owned. I don't know how that's possible in Yahoo leagues. He's racking up the keys. He's looked great. Pat obviously knows you own him in our home league. The mm. kid looks great start to start. I don't know why the percentage is so low, but he's a guy you should definitely target. Um, I would also target uh, uh, Junior Guerra. He's looked very good as well. He's looked sharp. He could get you some keys. But uh, if you want to stay away from the waiver wire and make, throw some trade offers out there, I still think that um, Luis Castillo, I, I like him still as a buy low because it's so low right now. He's been so bad. There's been, like, two good starts so far in the entire year, and I, I'm a big believer in this stuff. I think he could bounce back. Another guy, Kyle Hendricks, more of a safe, uh, safe bet. I still like Hendricks. He was off to a bit of a slow start. He's starting to come around. Uh, and McCullers, too. And McCullers is uh, underperformed. I, I had him as my dark horse <laughs> Cy Young winner, which was probably a little, uh, a little too much. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like those three guys to target, McCullers, Hendricks, and Castillo.
1: Yeah, I definitely like those guys as well. I had Castillo on my list as a a trade target. As far as free agents, a couple of guys I'm seeing in a couple of leagues out there, Marco Gonzalez – I don't like him, but to be honest, he's performing. So as he's performing, if you're looking for a waiver wire guy, that's kind of what I look for, somebody who's going to get you some value. Along his name, same lines, I've got Kyle Freeland, Matt Boyd, Vincent Velazquez, Seth Lugo. Of course, this depends on how deep your league is. But any of these guys are guys that I would pick up while they're succeeding, plug them in my lineup, use them until I see that sign, or you know, sit them when they go to Colorado or whatever it may be. And then if you see that sign that says they're starting to fall off, you go back to the waiver and find guys that are exactly like them that are performing a month from now. So definitely targets look like that. As far as other pitchers to buy, we said Castillo. I also like Mike Soroka. Uh, He's coming back. I think he's still going to be a little underrated. I think he's going to be really good. So this is the last little stretch where you can get him for cheaper than I think his value is going to produce. So he's a guy I look at pretty heavily.
2: Yeah, some 12-team targets I think are Andrew Heaney, 49%. In 12 teamers rich hill 48 coming off the dl soon and has produced elite results before uh vince velasquez who, who van just mentioned caleb smith at 40 percent i think is very very solid good name probably under own because he's on miami um can get the K's and probably it's not going to kill you in era um at least at home carlos Rodon at 28 percent uh came off the dl pitched uh, sort of middling results, but we know he's got fantastic stuff. Kyle Gibson, twenty six percent—that is way under owned in twelve team leagues. Uh, he's got to be owned more than that at this point. Uh, his two seamer is flying all over the place. Its its movement is outstanding. The changeup is working. slider is working. I'm really buying into Kyle Kyle Gibson okay. as a uh, potential you know breakout this year. And I mean, even if you go back a year, he's at a three ERA um other deeper names nick kingham uh, i know he was just sent down but i believe that's going to be temporary 16% Nate Ovaldi's looked good at 14% and a couple of trade targets i think patrick corbin and or alex wood might be two guys to look at because the velo is down they've struggled recently but i think the skills are still pretty solid aside from the velo they're still generating um you know similar contact to what they have when they were going good, they've gotten the Ks, the control's been good. I, I think that owners might be a little scared off by their recent results. You know, might be able to get them a little bit cheaper than you know you would probably about three or four weeks ago. Okay. Jerry's Familia was placed on the deal with a sore right shoulder. There's no timetable at this time for him to return. Anthony Swarzak received a save opportunity in his place. What do you make of this situation? Is Swarzak, the guy?
1: I think he is for now. Um, Callahan recently said that the MRA looked pretty clean for Jerry family. So there's not a ton of worry about Familia coming back and being healthy. So with Swarzak getting these two opportunities, I think he's definitely the guy to own not only now while he has the job, but once Familia comes back because he's going to be the next handcuff. So if Familia gets hurt, traded, whatever it may be you're already going to have that closer waiting. Now, Swarzak's numbers haven't been phenomenal. The ERA's okay at 3.38, but FIP and XFIP don't like him. He's walking five batters per nine. Uh, Strikeout's crazy at 11.81. There's value to be had here, but he's that prototypical closer reliever now where he strikes out a lot, walks a lot, and that could go either way. He could be great or he could be abysmal, but uh, he's definitely the guy to own right now.
0: Nick, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, Mejia actually looked pretty good last year. I was looking at uh, what he did uh, in 2017, and he was pretty decent. He had a sub 1.10 whiff, which is nice. Uh, and this year he has a Mejia. Name. Mejia? No, no, Sorzac.
2: Oh, okay. You said Mejia.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> I was going to
2: say Mejia's been out of baseball for two years, dude. No, <laughs> no, no. no, no. Um, so,
0: yeah, he, he's worth an ad right now. Listen, anytime someone could get you saves temporarily you pick him up and take the saves while you, while you can.
2: Yeah. I think he's the guy temporarily. And I would just add, I mean, he's not only the handcuff in case familia gets hurt again. Familia is on a one-year deal and with the way the Mets are going, they're going to be sellers at the deadline and he's going to be one of their best pieces to move. So this might be a situation where you're getting a couple of weeks of saves familia comes back and then is traded a couple of weeks later. And then Swarzak has the job for the rest of the year. And Swarzak's a guy that's on a contract, so there's no harm in letting him get saves. Whereas if, you know, they put Kesselman into the role, suddenly he gets more expensive in the arbitration process. Now, this really shouldn't be an issue for a New York team, but obviously the Mets are the Mets. So it is something to keep in mind. I don't know that I would let go of Swarczak, um, you know, if Familia comes back, because I think there might be a quick turnaround where he's back in the role again. Uh, Francisco Mejia gets the call. He's bounced around positionally in recent years, but is primarily known as a catcher. I know on fan tracks, he's been listed at utility seemingly without a clear path. What do you think of Mejia? Uh, yeah,
0: I I like him. I mean, he looked really good in 2017. Uh, he showed some pop out of nowhere, 14 home runs and 383 plate appearances. And you obviously like the lineup one through nine. So anywhere, you know, where he's put, Uh, I think he'll produce some counting stats, so I like him. He's at least worth uh, your attention. You should definitely at least keep tabs on him or a stash stash him.
1: I think worth your attention is about what I would say. Uh, I'm not that interested in him just because that's kind of my mantra of catching prospects. We never know what you're going to get until you see it, and we also don't know if he's going to be a catcher. If he's a catcher, his offensive output should be worth rostering. If he ends up moving to third base or first base, which by all accounts, the third base experience did not work. It wasn't very good there. The numbers just aren't going to play up quite as much. I thought of him as maybe a 15 to 20 homer, 10 stolen base guy in his peak. And I I think it's going to be a while before we see his peak. So he's a guy that if I'm desperate and I can get him for pennies, I'll take a flyer on him, but I'm not going to invest anything based on his name recognition, which I think what's going to drive his cost way up.
2: Are you investing at all if he doesn't have the catcher eligibility?
1: Not really. No, I just don't think there's enough there for him to provide, you know, first baseman's level numbers. Even though first base has been a bit of a sinkhole, I think you can find somebody to give you the same kind of value for less price. There's someone on the waiver wire, like Logan Morrison last year, that you could just scoop up and who will give you 30 home runs. I, I just think that that's out there and easier to find and cheaper. Yeah,
2: I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that. All right, let's move to around the diamond. We're going to kick it off tonight with Wilson Contreras. The Cubs catcher hasn't been bad, but he still hasn't quite lived up to his billing at draft, at the draft table. Do you see something that indicates the power will come, or were folks too ambitious on Contreras? Nick, why don't you kick us off on this?
0: Sure. Um, I mean, listen, this year going into the draft, catcher was a bit on the weak side, so I don't mind paying up for catcher uh, in 2018, but – I don't know. I've never been a Contreras guy. I I don't see uh, the major upside in this player. Uh, As far as power, I see him as a guy who who will be middling around like the 25 home run mark going forward, uh, 270-ish average. He'll be in a good spot in that lineup, which, you know, the Cubs lineup is very good with Rizzo and Bryant and Zobris and all these guys playing well. But I think that he came up at a prime Cubs time. Like the Cubs were – in their prime, and I think that he came up with a premium at that point uh, with Schwarber and Bryant and all these guys coming up. Um, I think he was just thrown into the mix at the right time and is a bit overrated.
1: I could say he's a bit overrated, but I do like him a lot. Uh, If you go look at basically the – valuation lists for catchers on whatever your favorite fantasy site is you could see that the names are jumbled Francisco Cervelli's high up there uh Yadier Molina's down because of injuries we've had injuries to Wilson Ramos injuries to all kinds of guys so catcher if you didn't get one of the big two or big three of uh, Gary Sanchez Buster Posey Wilson Contreras you're probably hurting uh, a little more than you would have guessed even if you did get like JT Romoto who's only hit I think six or seven home runs so far it's been okay but not super successful. Now looking at Contreras' numbers, everything is virtually the same from last year with a few exceptions. He's not pulling the ball as much. It's down a couple of percentage points versus him hitting it the opposite way, maybe 5% of the time more. And thus his hard contact is down a few percentage points as well. If you see him start pulling the ball a little more, those home runs are going to come. It's those doubles that go to center field are going to be pulled home runs. That just tends to be the, the way it goes. So I still think there's room for him to improve in that regard but I also think that if he only gets to 15 to 20 home runs instead of 20 to 25 you're getting really good value because he's hitting 280 almost he's walks a lot and he's going to give you plenty of accounting stats
2: yeah he's actually made some nice improvements uh, the k rates down the fly ball rate is up the primary difference between this year and and his prior experience is that the homer to fly ball rates down from about 20 percent to about six percent. Um, So I think the power is going to rebound. I mean, we've seen it uh, with upper echelon power guys like Olsen, Bellinger, Goldschmidt. Contreras is obviously not in that class, but, you know, he's going to hit three in a week or five over the course of two weeks, and he'll be right back where you thought he would be. Um, I think the Babbitt might actually come down a little bit. Uh, There's not a heavy line drive right there to support it. Contreras is athletic for a catcher, but he's still a catcher. So that's something to look at. I I bet that we're going to probably trade some power. Um, for some batting average in the weeks to come, uh, I'm not terribly worried. Do you think he could be a 30 home run bat within the next like couple of years? I could see a season of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be well, less than two seasons. I think is what he would do it.
2: I, I I think, I think he could pace out to that if like he was getting full time at bats with catcher at bats. I think he's more of a 25 homer guy, at best.
0: Yeah, and that's my point. See, if at best he's a 25 home run guy, he comes with a good, not great average. I, I don't know. Like, see, like, Posey gives you the average. You know, you're going to get it, the 300 plus. And Sanchez gives you the pop and the counting stats.
1: I, I don't know. Uh, he just kind of doesn't excite me. I don't know. But Posey, if you get him, sure, you'll get the average, but you're going to get what? Eight to 10 home runs now? I mean, his power output is so down that even yeah. if he goes to first base, I, I'm backing away from Posey I think he has value but that power output is just depleting and we're in a day and age where home runs are getting easier to find so if he's only going to hit 10 to 12 I'm just going to stay away yeah
0: but you know what but we saw the drop in ADP with Posey this year um his ADP was
1: was what like in the
2: around 60 roughly I think
1: memory serves me correctly yeah I'll pull it up here and see
2: and Contreras was was where like fifty-ish, just ahead. Of they game? were right next to each other. Yeah, they right were, were like the, okay. five or six Contreras spots apart. Was was
1: Fifty-nine. Posey was sixty-one. So two spots back. I'd rather have Damn. Contreras if I'm taking a catcher there.
0: So you'd rather the like the ten to fifteen less homers than the twenty to thirty plus points in batting average?
1: Yeah. I would okay. because I think there's room to grow for both with Contreras where I think Posey's plateaued as far yeah. as power. Okay. I don't think he's coming back.
2: That's fair. Yeah, and Posey moves with the first space. He's basically Joe Maurer at that point.
1: Yeah.
2: But he'll get plate appearances, so maybe that'll bump his numbers up there. True, true. All right, Mitch Moreland. The Bo Sox have dumped Hanley based in part on Moreland's outstanding early season performance. And as the calendar has turned to June – is this more of a reality than a simple hot streak? Then why don't you kick us off here?
1: It lies somewhere in the middle. I think if we go back and look at his twenty fifteen numbers, where he hit two seventy eight, three 482 with twenty three homers and five hundred fifteen plate appearances, and he had a six point two percent walk rate. I think that's basically who he is now if you take a look at this year as compared to that year the power output's up a little bit the walks are up a little bit so we could argue that he's made some gains and improved a little bit or we could argue that he's only at the 183 plate appearance mark and there's a correction period to be made i think it lies somewhere in between he's probably going to hit 25 home runs but I also do think he's best if they kind of lay off of him a little bit and don't give him 700 plate appearances. I think he's he's not quite a platoon bat. He's shown that he can hit left-handers a little bit better now than he could in the past. But he's also not a guy you plug in the lineup every day. And I think the Red Sox will find a way to kind of play that around. And I think 550 plate appearances is probably what we get to this season. And that probably stretches him just a little bit. So I think I see the average and the OBP coming down. Though I could see the power output just remaining steady, so again, 25 home runs I think is easily attainable.
0: Yeah, he's been like remarkably consistent. If you look over the last four or five years, 22 home runs, 22 home runs, 23 home runs. But now, looking at the bat speed, he's generating 30, uh, 93.2 miles per hour on the uh, the exit velo, which is nice. Um, and he's going to accumulate these counting stats beyond this team. So he's definitely got my attention, Mitch Marlon, and I'm I'm a believer. I'm going to buy him the rest of the way.
2: I think I'm with Van here. I see a mixed bag. He's 32. The K to walk numbers are pretty flat. The authority numbers are pretty flat. The one thing that Moreland is seemingly doing differently is that year over year, he's pulling the ball more. And that's definitely a positive development. And what makes it even more positive is that it extends to his fly ball profile. 37% pull percentage is far and away the highest of his career, which is good because Moreland is actually able to take advantage of his skills of hitting fly balls hard, which he's always done. B uh, just tends to hit them to center and opposite field in past years. Um, I do not think that he's going to be outstanding. I think the Babbitt's going to come down, uh, end up hitting right around 260, but I think a career high in power is possible. I think we're looking at mid to tw- mid to high 20s home runs here. Um, you know, Even if the playing time isn't there, as Van mentioned, um, this is also a situation where Boston is such a productive offense that – he might not need the volume to get the counting stats and they've been hitting him in the middle of that lineup because it's a lineup that's really lacking for um, a, a good lefty hitter aside from Benintendi. I know that Deavers uh, went deep tonight, but he's been kind of middling. And I know Moreland's been hitting, I believe fourth or fifth most days. Okay. Let's take it to John. Let's go. Long player that's been bashed by a certain member of this podcast Me? (laughs) Scope has continued to struggle since coming back from injury. Is there any hope of a bounce back here, Nick? Oh, God. Here we go. All
0: right. So, listen, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out on Scoop. Uh, I liked him three years ago. I'm out on him now. Uh, He's all over the place. The swing strike is up. The O swing is up. I'm out. Pat, I'll let you go on a rant. Go ahead.
2: All right. I mean, I've been the low man on him for a while now, and I had to eat some crow last year but I said it even in the offseason this year that he's just not my type of player. The profile has a ton of flaws and has always had the flaws. It's lots of soft contact, pop-up issues, no patience, poor plate discipline. And now even with that said, I still think there is some hope for a bounce back here. The home to fly ball rate is well below his career average and the year before the line drive rate is also below his career average I can see a path to him returning to 2016 levels in which he was, you know, mid to high twenties power 260, And I mean, that's for, that's in terms of his pace, the rest of the way, I, I just don't know that that's necessarily like likely. Uh, the profile is so dependent on the BABIP and his batted ball profile f- profile does not support a plus BABIP. Uh, in fact, his ex BABIP is actually currently below his actual BABIP. So it, it's, it's not looking good. Um, you know, you had to spend a premium pick on him. So, I mean, I can understand holding and waiting for the hot streak to come, but you might want to find somebody else to plug in until he gets going. Van, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I agree with you. Uh, what I will say is that he's 26. So obviously there's a chance that he rebounds and gets things back under control. However, I've been out on scope all, all my whole life. I, it's a player I don't like. And I'll give you an example in a bit about a player who had his same profile but turned it into something good. But Scope basically walks less than 5% of the time, strikes out too much. Like you said, he he's pulls the ball, pop-ups, everything. And he's just too reliant on the power and nothing else. So that the players like that who don't walk, first and foremost, are ones that when they struggle – it hits your team hard. Whereas if you've got a guy who can walk and he struggles, he's still going to get on base and a decent clip and score some runs. So that's kind of mitigating some damage whenever you have a player like that versus scope. I just don't like scope. I don't like a set. I don't think it ever bounces back to where I want to own him. However, if you are a scope owner, like you said, put him on your bench, have somebody replace him. Once he gets a nice hot streak going, I'd look to move him. Maybe somebody out there still believing, believe it, or if you can get that, go for it, and uh, you'll be better off with him off your team.
2: Yeah, I think that's a solid point about moving him. And also, the other thing that we didn't mention is that team is a disaster. So yeah. even if he gets going, it's not like the counting stats are going to be anything special um, because Baltimore is just a mess, and it's not going to get any better once Machado moves. Okay, Mike Moustakis, I'm putting together another solid year after the market basically shunned him. What do you think about buying low on Mustakis before he moves to greener pasture via trade? What is the ideal realistic landing spot for him? Van, why don't you kick us off?
1: Realistic landing spot is he's going to be moved to a contender who needs third base help. Uh, Just a couple of teams that kind of came to mind for me were the Dodgers. If Justin Turner doesn't get healthy and he doesn't look like he's going to get healthy anytime soon, or the Braves, if the Braves are still in it, they don't want to call up Riley, but they don't want to leave uh, Johan Camargo in at third base. I think Mustakis would be a pretty good fit there. I'd look at something like that. And then ultimately, I say, you know, two weeks from now, let's take a look at the, the landscape and see how third base is shaping out. If, for example, Andleton Simmons' uh, ankle injury ends up being a little long term, the Angels might like to look to move for him because they can put Cozart at short, Mustakis at third. As a player, Mustakas is the exact same player that I thought he was prior to this year. And that is a high power, low walks, okay average third baseman with mediocre defense. Not that interested in him. I don't think he's going to age well. And I, well, before we found out that no one was getting any money this offseason, I was adamantly against Whoever took Mike Mustakas on, because I thought there he was going to get a five-year deal, eighty-five million, and I thought that was a horrible deal for a player of his caliber. However, if he's going to do a one-year, fifteen million, or whatever as he would go along, that's worth it. And I think this off-season we'll see three years, thirty-five, forty million, and that's fine. It's not great, but that's fine. I would take him at that rate because uh, what's the arbitration number at now? Like nineteen, eighteen, six, something like that. So. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting him for that price, that's fine. That's worth taking a flyer on. But again, I just don't think he ages well. I traded for him in a dynasty just because I needed a little bit of help. And I'm pretty happy I got him because he is going to give you that home run power. And particularly if you're batting average league versus an OBP league, that's a little more helpful there. And he'll give you counting stats if he gets on a decent team as well.
0: Yeah, so he's like really underrated every year going into the draft as a reliable source of power. And if you need pop, this is definitely a guy to target because I think it could be had – somewhat on the cheap uh, because it's still Mike Moustakis. Um, he's, right now he's on pace again to eclipse, you know, 30 home runs to finish around, 35-plus, and he's going to give you a pretty solid batting average to go with it. There's not many guys in the lead that can do that. I really like the landing spot of the Braves. I think it's a perfect fit uh, right now. They've got Camargo at third base, and they've kind of had a disaster at that position the entire year. Um, and I, if he did go to the, the Braves, he would be right at the top of that lineup, probably either fourth or fifth. And with all the guys like uh, uh, Albies and Inciarte and Swanson and Freeman, all those guys are great as far as OPS goes. So the RBI totals could be could be great if he goes there. The Braves is definitely the spot for him.
1: Are you saying the Jose Bautista experiment was a disaster? <laughs> yeah. Much.
2: As a Met fan currently yeah. living it, I could tell you it's still a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of, trying to go out and get Moose now before he moves. Um, there's no way Kansas city is going to hold him. There are more potential buyers than I think you, than I think people might think on its face. I mean, the name that comes to mind immediately is Atlanta. Um, but I think Cleveland could get involved. Uh, St. Louis also could get involved, I think, and maybe even Minnesota. And most of those parks are going to be an upgrade over Kansas city. And we know the lineups are going to be an upgrade. Um, the ideal landing spots, probably Atlanta, He would fit very nicely into the five spot in that lineup, the four or five spot, depending on whether or not they're facing a lefty. Um, That ballpark is awesome, awesome for lefty power, uh, as we know. So, I mean, you could see a major power surge out of him if he gets to that ballpark. So, yeah, I'm definitely interested in going out and maybe paying up a little bit for him because I think when he gets moved, I don't think what I'm going to pay is going to reflect the potential that he has when he does get moved.
1: Sure. So you think the cost is going to be down enough that people still aren't buying in on him?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, like Nick said, I mean, to some extent, it's Mike Moustakas. So no one is that attached to him currently. So he's already coming at a depressed price. And then I don't think that a majority of fantasy players are going to factor in the fact that he's going to get moved and factor in the uptick that comes with him getting moved. Fair enough. Okay, Tim Anderson. Uh, Mr. category juice is produced for owners that have waited for sh- that waited on shortstop, but is it sustainable are you buying the power and the speed or will free swinging catch up to Anderson Nick kick us off well yeah i mean listen he did go 1715 last year which isn't
0: too bad i mean 1750 are healthy numbers i don't know in 2017 2018 but in 2013 2010 that I, I was in Kinsler 1710 1715 um so look the problem with Anderson that I have right now is that they're still not batting him at the top of the lineup. Uh, He shuffles in and out uh, at at the one spot every now and then, but primarily he's been in like the seven or eight slot and it's on the Chicago white Sox. So he's not going to get many counting stats at all. Uh, The positives though, is that he's walking more and that was the big problem last year. 2.1% walk rate the year before that 3% walk rate, but now he's getting on base. Um, as far as the walks go, but the OBP is still just 302. So I don't know if he can lead off. I mean, and now they have Moncada's been playing well and Sanchez is playing well and Abreu. I just don't know if he could make his way to the top of that lineup. If he did, he becomes much more appealing. Where he is right now, I'm still not that interested because he's still just batting 237. And I just,
2: he's. Yeah, but you can't buy 11 13. I know that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> I mean you can't just find that anywhere yeah. I, I mean
1: go ahead van it's It's crazy the value he's actually provided while also not <laughs> providing a lot of value. It's one of those you just this is very team based for me. I would look at Tim Anderson and Screen. I need to look at my team and see what I can use because, like for example, I've got a dynasty league that I'm number one in o b p by a mile this guy's perfect for me because I'm going to get the counting stats. He's not really going to hurt my OBP. So I'm buying him every opportunity I get. However, if you're in a league where the, your batting average, your OBP is important to you. You're fighting for that. Maybe you do need a little more counting stats than opposed to just the stolen base home run totals. He might dampen it a little bit more. You just have to really look at him in that regard. Now, as a player, I buy 25, 25. I definitely buy that. I don't know if I buy the uptick and walk rate. He's up to 8.1% uh, walk percentage on the year, which is more than twice of what he has been doing in the minors in the past. So I think that kind of drops back down, but who knows, it could be in a whole new level. If it is a whole new level, I'll reevaluate. But if that drops back down, he's still going to be a guy who hits 230 or 240 and gets on base under 300% of the time. So it's just not that valuable, and I think that what will happen with him in his career is someone will come along who can do things slightly better than him, but with less home run and stolen base potential, takes over his job. He gets moved to a utility man, and then he just disappears into the ether of nothingness. I just foresee that happening because <laughs> it's not that good. But Darkness. while he's performing, I'll take him.
0: So, uh, Vin, so end of 2018, give me a final stat line: home runs, stolen bases, batting average.
1: I think it'd easily go 25-25. The batting average at 237, you would hope would come up. You had a 257 mark last year, so let's split it and say 245. And then if that's the case and the walks come down, I think the OBP is right at 300. It feels like um, when Billy Hamilton was kind of being a little more successful than he is now, it feels like that slash line except without the monstrous amount of stolen bases. So you're getting some more power with Tim Anderson, obviously, and you're getting some stolen bases, which are immensely valuable. But the other stats are probably going to taper your team down a little bit. So depending on the price, this year he was had for virtually nothing. I'm fine with it. But if you start paying for this guy, I think that's
2: when you're going to get in trouble. Pat, are you on the same line, 25-25, 240? I'm a little lower on the power, a little higher on the speed. I'd say if I had to give a line, I'd say 22 29, and I'd probably put the batting average right around 245. That's still a really good year. Yeah, it is. It Absolutely. is, and I and I and I buy a lot of what he's done to this point. I mean, even if the walk rate doesn't stay as high as it is right now, it's a exponential improvement over what he was, and that gets the OBP to right around 300. Not ideal, but it makes him not, you know, a total zero in OBP leagues, like you know, we kind of have that line in batting average leagues where it's like you can live around two thirty-five, two forty for a player, um, unless they have an extreme profile. It's sort of that line in OBP leagues, I think, is right around three hundred. Where if this guy is going to give you twenty, close to twenty thirty, you can live with that three hundred OBP because of the category juice. Mm-hmm. Um, his K rates also fallen, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the power. he's a little high on the home run fly ball rate. He's hovered around 15% during his major league career. He's higher than that right now, but he's also added fly balls. So even if he regresses down to 15%, I still think he's a 20-ish home run guy. Uh, And the speed, there's no doubt. He's got a 29.2 sprint score. That's top end. He's gone 13 of 14 on the base paths. So there's no, and that team is bad. So there's no reason for them to, Stop him from running. Um, and, you know, his lineup spot is kind of conducive to it. If he's hitting, you know, six, seven in that lineup, the seven, eight, nine hitters behind him aren't special. So there's no reason for him to be tied to first base when he's on it. Um, so I think he's going to run it at a pretty good clip. Uh, you know, I, I think this, I think he sort of reminds me of um, his year won't be as good, but it's kind of like the Jonathan VR year of a couple of years ago, um, where everybody was out, everyone, said that this guy was useless and he suddenly just made a little tweak at the plate, got a little more disciplined and now we're seeing the dividends get paid where he can approach 20 bombs and approach 30 steals and turn into a real asset for um, people that drafted him at the end of drafts on draft day. That me was a lot this. of drafts. Yes, well,
1: let me ask you this. Okay. So is it fair to lump Tim Anderson in with, uh, I'm going to give you two names, of course, Billy Hamilton and Joey Gallo, guys who in an OBP league, let's say, are going to have an OBP right at 300, which isn't good, but it's not going to kill you. But then they're going to give you like Gallo, and this is in the case of power. He's going to give you an obscene amount of power, whereas with Hamilton, you're going to get an obscene amount of steals. But with Anderson, he's going to give you both, but he's going to be in that 300 OBP range. Can we treat him as that kind of player? Is that a fair assessment?
2: I think so, but I, I, no, I have to no. say, with this caveat, I, I, I'm a big Joey Gallo fan. Yeah. So
0: I, I cannot put Tim Anderson anywhere near Joey Gallo. I could, I can put him near Billy
2: Hamilton. Gallo I can't is- even put him near. I can't even near, put him near Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton is a mess right now. Yeah. He's yeah. So okay. Bad. So
1: we're we're three tiered. We're like Hamilton, yeah. Anderson,
2: Gallo. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, let's move to Eddie Rosario. Uh, He's red hot. Rosario is tearing the cover off the ball. But let's talk about his upside. What do you see as his full season line? Is he now a top 15 now fielder for you? Top 10? Nick, kick us off.
0: Yeah, so I am a gigantic fan, the biggest fan in the world of Eddie Rosario right now. The guy is going to absolutely crush. I think... So I'll give you my, my my stat line. Final stat line, 2018, I have him at 32 home runs, 15 steals, 290 average. And that's a really friggin' good year. Um, I'm a believer in the power. Right now, he's swinging the bat at a 20.6-degree launch angle. He is swinging for power, and he's generating the bat speed. So there's no reason to think that the, the power is fluky. He's got the speed. And you know what? Every single year, for some reason, I've always I've had a stigma against taking twins because of counting stats. But I'm done with it. I, I, the, he, last year, he had 79 runs, 78 RBIs. Dozier's been very productive in those categories, and Rosario's doing it again this year, being at 41, 43 right now on pace for 80 plus, 80 plus. So I'm buying him big time. I love Rosario. It's for real.
1: So did you give your number? What number in the top? How many outfielders? What would you peg him as? Top ten? Top twenty? Uh, top 20. Top 20. Okay. Yeah, I did that as well. I discussed him on a podcast a couple of days ago, and I think I had him around the 18 mark, which is fine. However, my caveat to that is that I have him there, but he's a guy I will never own because I just... Something about him tells me that this is going to be short-lived. It's just not a player I like to own. Uh, Doesn't walk a whole lot 5.7, 5.9% of the time. Gets on base. or uh, or The batting average is really what he relies on. The power is legit. He's going to hit 28 to 32 home runs this year. I don't know. I might project maybe 25 next year just because – I just think it's not quite that good. Uh, Steals 10 bases. I mean, there's a ton of stuff to like here, but there's something, and I can't quite put my finger on it, that I just don't really see him as being the guy that continues to play at a a high elite top 20 outfielder level for any extended period of time. He can do that, and I'll eat crow all the day, but I'm just not going to pay the price for it. However, I do think he is a top 20 outfielder by the end of the season.
2: Going back one year, he's got 36 homers, 13 steals, 309, 349, 561, triple slash, Mm. and a 16% K rate. Mm.
0: Um,
2: This year, he's run a little bit more efficiently, five of six on the base pass. Uh, I think he's very much for real. Great power, some speed, and good batting average. Uh, He's added fly balls, and that explains the power surge. Plus, he's pulling the ball more. Um, This is pretty much the next step from what we saw from him at the end of last year. I think it's fair to expect about a 280 30-10 pace the rest of the way. Um, To me, he's absolutely a top 15 outfielder. And I'm very tempted to move him into the top 10 at this point. I'm buying in a big way. And and Van, to your point, I had the same sort of stigma I had about him as I had about Jonathan Scope. And this is one I'm willing to like take the L on. He is um, he looks like a completely different hitter to me over the last calendar year. Um, you know, he, he was a guy that was a bit of a free swinger and he still is to some extent. I mean, he doesn't exercise great patience at the plate, but the differences between him and scope are are night and day. I mean, he's he's making great contact. There's no issue with the contact. He's swinging and missing less. Um, he's got, he's exercised better plate discipline. And I'm not saying you were comping the two. I'm just saying that, you know, I had the same sort of. Uh, deal with Rosario going into this year. I saw him going in and around that top 30 spot. And I always, I could never quite get him inside my top 40. And and I think that was a mistake because if you look at what he did uh, in the second half last year versus what he's done so far this year, it's just a continuation of, of what was already happening.
1: And he's you only know, 26 too. So, I mean, he's young. He has a lot of life ahead of him.
0: I, I just want to say that a lot of times when you ask the question of, um, do you think he'll be a top 10 outfielder do you think he'll be a, be a top 20 outfielder? We're quick to say, oh yeah, he'll be a top 10, top 20, whatever. but when you put it to perspective, it kind of changes things. So Pat, you had him as a top 10 outfielder rest of the way. So my question to you
2: is, I said top 15, borderline oh, you top
0: said 15? 10. Okay, that's, yeah. that's different then. But still 15, you're looking at like um, Chris Davis with a K, Justin Upton, um, Ben and like those are the guys that are around 15. So would you take him over any three
2: of those guys? Benintendi, Upton, and Chris Davis. I think I would take him over Chris Davis and Justin Upton. I don't know that I can take him over Ben Benintendi solely based upon Benintendi's situation. Van, I'm guessing you, would, you wouldn't take him over any of three of those, right?
1: No. And in fact, Upton, I think, is still extremely underrated. He's going to steal bases, which a lot of these guys aren't going to do. So I think that helps a lot. Obviously, he's older, so... It's going to start uh, peaks and valleys. We're going to start slowing down. Looking at the top 20 or so outfielders. Buxton's obviously not in there now. He's hot and garbage. Uh, Davis, I would definitely take over him because, I mean, 40 home runs in the bank every 247 year. 247 average. It's a 247 average, which is great, actually, in this area. If it were 230, yeah. then it'd be a little questionable. But he's he's fine. Fam, uh, I would probably take over him. McCutcheon, I'd rather have Eddie Rosario. Me and too. then we start going down the list. But, yeah, about- top 15 actually makes a little sense. What about Kane? That's I want Kane I think I'd take Kane as well yeah. But it's close
2: Yeah, I, I think I think Kane provides the steals And that that skill set is so stable And the ballpark is Is going to be fantastic for him all year So mm-hmm. I think he's going to hit a career high On home runs easily Alright, let's move to Andrew Benintendi What a month The only <laughs> player that might be hotter than Eddie Rosario Is Benintendi Is this a true breakout season for Benintendi Or do you expect him to sort of level off? And would you rather have Benintendi or Rosario rest of season? Van, give us your take.
1: Uh, Benintendi rest of season pretty easily for me. However, I will exercise a little bit of caution. I do think this is a, quote, true breakout. However, he's still pretty bad against left-handed hit pitching. So, Mm -hmm. obviously, he's young. I think he's, what, twenty. 423 so he's a pup he has plenty of time to get better but if he doesn't get better against left-handed pitching I see a little bit of a Jake Lamb style platoon player like a better Jake Lamb because they you know give him 450 to 500 plate appearances every season against every righty and occasional lefty and see what he does but right now he's hitting everything and the power I think is Uh, It's about where I would expect it to be. I'm kind of disappointed in the stolen base category. I thought he might bump that up a little bit, but this is a guy that a lot of people, what they used to say about Howie Kendrick, where he's going to win a batting title someday that's how I feel about Ben I think he's going to win a batting title someday. He has such good plate di- discipline and control and good feel for the strike zone. So I really see that happening, but he's a 25, 25 guy, and he's going to hit nearly 300 and he's playing in that lineup. So he's going to get you 120 runs, and 120 RBI. And it's just awesome. I, I, I like him a lot and he's definitely top 10 for me in outfielders now.
0: Yeah. For me, he's definitely top 10 Pat. You know, I was just like obsessed with him going into the season uh he was a guy I was targeting in any in any and every draft that I was in I'm a big 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 fan, and right now he's making me look like a genius uh <laughs> I, I I love him listen the guy walks twelve point three percent of the time he strikes out just fifteen point eight um he's like like van said he's extremely disciplined at the plate uh he's a great contact hitter and now he's starting to turn the good contact into good power um so he's pacing out for over twenty home runs and over twenty steals at the moment uh what I see from Benettoni this year is something like 26-20, um, but it's going to come close to a 300 average or just over, and really, really good accounting stats batting in the two-hole on one of the best lineups in baseball. Um, I-, I love him. I have him as a top-10 outfielder all the way, and he is going to just grow into, the, into an amazing player, into an amazing fantasy player. Soon to be a first-round uh, pick.
2: Yeah, I think there are some elements here that uh, look like a hot streak. The hard contact data is not impressive, so I think the power is probably closer to the low twenties in terms of pace the rest of the way than you know upwards of twenty five to thirty. Um, he can definitely run, and the counting stats are going to be there in Boston. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that he's sort of he's he's such a good hitter in terms of what he can do against right-handed hitting. And he's so young that I think they're going to continue to give him the time against lefties. And I have confidence that he's going to figure it out before long. But I mean, even with the struggles against lefties, he's putting up a near 300 batting average. Um, that lineup is fantastic. They really need the left-handed hitter in the lineup. Um, so I don't think that he's going to sit at all, um, you know, and nor should they sit him at this point. Um, I just, I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on the power. I feel like it should um, tick up higher. I feel like the results have been there so far this year, but I just don't know that I can put him into a class where he's a 25 homer bat in terms of pace the rest of the way, which I guess would pace out to about 15, then 17 homers at this point. I, I think he's more of a 12 to 15 guy the rest of the way. Um, but still, and a wonderful asset, um, great player, and great situation. Okay, through with Lewis Brinson power, and that's pretty much it for Brinson at this point. Uh, his average is considerably considerably below the Mendoza line. Are you holding on to him on the bench in deep mixers? What have you seen from Brinson at this point, if anything, and what might give you some hope, Nick? Kick us off.
0: Yeah, I have. I have zero interest in Brinson at the moment. Um, you know, this year he's got a 31.6 K, K percentage and a 4.3 walk percentage. Those are not good ratios. Putting that together and the fact that he plays for the Marlins is is even worse. Uh, right now he has just 15 runs and 24 RBIs in the season and 234 plate appearances. So those counting stats are absolutely abysmal. Absolutely abysmal, unrosterable. Even if he had, let's just say, 15 home runs right now it's still almost unrosterable because of how bad the counting stacks and batting average are so i want nothing to do with him um at all and the other thing is when he does get on base he's not stealing bases which i thought would be a part of his game um yeah i'm dumping him i'm, I'm just letting him
1: go i'm out of it yeah i definitely agree with you there i have dumped him where i could i also do still have a few shares of him because everyone on my team is hurt so i end up I'll pick somebody up, move them out of the lineup. The person gets hurt. Great. Now I have to stick Brinson back in there for a week. And it's just, it's been a cycle of horror in most of my leagues. Uh, you know, I, the teams, Lamarlins here with Brinson and the Chicago White Sox with Lucas Giolito, need to be just decked in the face because this is not good for either player. It's not good for their careers. Send them down, let them get their work in, let them stabilize. You're not helping them at all. This is bad for their psyche. This is bad for their teams. I know the, the, uh, Moreland's don't have really a good center fielder option, but it doesn't matter. You got to get somebody up. So Brinson can go back down to the minors and hit like he used to. So maybe get some confidence back up. I don't have any interest in him this year. Cause it's not going to happen. We just have to cut bait and realize it was a lost cause and I spent for him. So shame on me, but career wise, I could see just because of his skills, which he has ample skills A Carlos Gomez-style resurgent. Maybe when he hits 25, 26, 27 years old, he suddenly starts to hit, and you get that Carlos Gomez 2040 season, something like that, because I do think he has elite speed, but he's just not using it. But for now, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen through the end of this year. I highly doubt it happens next year, but I'm not going to cut bait completely on him, particularly in a dynasty league. He's a guy that if I have the spots, I'm going to hold on to him and hope that that within the next year or two, he figures something out.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree with your point that they should send him back down. For some reason, as of late, teams have been a lot more reluctant to send players down to the minors to figure things out. I'm not quite sure why, uh, but he's definitely a guy that I think would benefit from that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, in 15, 16-team mixed leagues, I think you can hold provided you have the bench space just because you know the waiver wire is not pretty. Um, And if he's sitting on your bench, he's not really hurting you. Uh, 12-team mixers, he's obviously long gone if he was ever owned anyway. Um, But I agree with Van in terms of dynasty leagues. I would definitely still hold because the talent is there. I mean, obviously, you have to try to avoid playing him at all costs at this point. Um, You know, as far as what we've seen so far, he's really owned the strikeout rate, which which is over 30%. He's being aggressive and he's whiffing a lot. Um, he's definitely got some up coming his way. uh, And I expect the plate skills to improve, but I think right now you probably can't expect much more than, you know, even in the best case, like a 230 average the rest of the way. And I think that's being generous. Um, And I expect him to run a little bit more, but again, this is not an asset that I would own in most fantasy baseball leagues, unless I had the room to be able to just sit him on the bench. Daniel Polka, another name for deep leaguers. Palka has some impressive stat cast numbers. Do you think he could become an asset in standard mixed leagues before the year is out? Van, kick us off.
1: Maybe 15 team leagues, but uh, any less than that, I'm not really that interested. Strikeout rates right around 30%. He's only walking 4.5% of the time. Those two generally just don't miss for su- mix for success. We do have people succeeding with a 30% mm-hmm. strikeout rate. Your Aaron Judges, even your Mike Trouts, who, well, he's down now, but in the past he could do it. So there's a slim window where guys like this can't succeed, but more often than not, you're better off betting against them. So I'm just not that interested. I think the power is legit because he does have good power in the minors. He had a lot of speed, but that seems to have tapered off a bit. And uh, I'm not really counting on him to steal a lot of bases, but if you're in a 15 team league and, You've got some injuries, pick him up, throw him in there, shuffle him in and out of your lineup, keep him on your bench if you need him because he will provide some good pop and some good statistics, but he's not a guy that I want to plug into my lineup and rely on because I think you're going to get burned more often than not.
2: Nick, any thoughts? Uh, yeah,
0: I'm, I mean, first of all, I was surprised that Daniel Polka made the pod. I mean, we went through all these guys, that these big-name guys, and all of a sudden we get to Daniel Polka. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm not really that interested in Polka. Like Van said, the 29% K rate compared to the 4.4% walk rate, it's just not my type of hitter. Um, and he missed a lot of time in 2017, 2016. I didn't look into it, but I'm guessing there was an injury that played a part there. Um, and maybe that's why he kind of went under the radar the last couple of seasons, but he has looked good so far. But again, he plays for the White Sox and he's shuffled around that lineup. I don't think the
2: counting stats are going to come in bunches. I'm out. Well, the reason why I put him here is one, he's a deep league name, and then the other reason is is that the Statcast data is so interesting. His barrels per plate appearance, he's eighth overall. Average exit velocity, he's seventh overall. Fly ball line drive exit velocity, he's seventh overall. Ninety-five mile per hour hit percentage, he's ninth overall. So, I mean, he's top ten in all of those key drivers of power. Um, the fact that he has just six homers is a little surprising. X stats give him two more. Um, he's a guy that hasn't been up all year. So volume could be part of an issue. And like Nick said, he's kind of been shuffled in and out. Um, but I think the power is going to surge at some point for him. Um, to me, he looks a lot like a lefty Adam Duvall at, or even like a, even a Paul DeYoung. Young. Uh, the average is not going to be great, but I think he could be serviceable because the contact is so good. Uh, he's also run a little bit with two steals and, limited appearances. If he can get the steals to high single digits, I think it'll be a nice little package for deep leaguers where, you know, you're looking at 20, 25 homers potentially if the at-bats are there and then maybe high single digit steals as well. Um, You know, obviously deep league only flyer only perhaps he's just a hot street guy, but it's a name to file away nonetheless, because that sort of batted ball skill is at least worth monitoring. I think.
1: He feels a little bit like the White Sox's version of this year's Nikki Delmonico. Like last year, Delmonico came up. He didn't have a whole lot of pedigree. Nobody really thought a lot about it. And then he was really successful. Uh, they don't play the same kind of game, but it's just kind of a similar thing of he's a guy that pr- we probably don't expect a lot out of. But he might perform and he might get you a bunch of stuff, so you might as well go on it. But the long-term outlook is pretty murky.
2: Yeah, agreed with that. Okay. Masahiro Tanaka. The winds are keeping Tanaka afloat, but what do you make of his performance so far? Can we admit that he was probably a little overrated before the season began or Nick, are you still not prepared to take the L? I'm not prepared to take the (laughs) L.
0: I'm going down with this shit. Damn it. Um, (laughs) I Listen, I know Pat's going to come back with all kinds of shit. He's going to try and bury Tanaka, but go ahead, do it. I don't care. I love him. I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not going to talk bad about my boy. Um, look, the home run rate right now is at an all-time high. It's going to come down, and so will the ERA. Uh, he's not dread- generating his usual swing and miss on the slider. That's going to come up. Um, looking at, uh, at Tanaka's career, the first couple of months of the season, um, the month of May, he usually struggles. The month of June, he usually struggles. And then once he hits the summer months, July, August, September, that ERA starts to come down. We saw it last year, second half. He started to pitch really well. So maybe this, the DL stint is going to help him. You know, a good DL stint, you know, sometimes it helps guys out. We said it a couple of weeks ago with Goldschmidt, maybe a phantom DL spot. A little time off would help him snap out of the slump, but he didn't need it. He's snapping out of it on, on his own right now. Um, But, yeah, listen, Tanaka's got five good pitches. Um, He usually generates a lot of swing and miss, and the home run number is going to come down. So buy him now while he's on the DL and off to a bad start. He's going to return value. The ratios are really good. He doesn't walk guys. I love him. All right? I love Masahiro Tanaka.
1: Leave him alone, Pat. All right, fan, give us your take. Well, I actually agree with you. I think he's been really unlucky this year. Those home runs, like you said, were way too high up there. He's giving up 1.98 home run per nine. The walks are a little worse than his career, but he's also been an elite control command guy, and it's at 2.35 per nine. So that's not bad. That's okay. Still striking out over a batter in an inning, which is something I wanted to see. Uh, ERA and FIP don't like him. His actual ERA is 4.58. His FIP's at 4.91. XFIP, which is generally takes into account home runs, has him at 370, and then Sierra, which I actually like better than most of them, has him as a 359 ERA guy. So I think that if you look beyond the surface numbers, there's plenty to like here. Uh, you touched on his slider, and the whiff rate on that is way down. And I wonder if there's just something amiss with that pitch. I think if he gets it under control and it gets back to where it should be, we'll see A, the walks come down. B, the home runs come down, and see the ERA come down. So I think he's a buy-low opportunity, especially for an owner who might be really frustrated with him right now. However, I also don't think he's you know a, a three ERA guy. I think he's mid-threes, but that's fine. He's mid-threes. He plays for the Yankees. So if you're in a wins league, he's probably going to get you a bunch of wins. And his whip's going to keep you in the game too because he's a really good whip guy.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, he's a good ratio guy in terms of whip. The Ks have come down a little bit. Uh, and he's limited the walks as he usually does. The homers have been the issue, but that's a consistent issue for Tanaka. Um, at this point, I, I think he was over overvalued at the draft table. Um, in addition to the homers being a problem, as Van mentioned, the slider hasn't been elite like it was last year. I- I'm wondering if hitters have gotten a little bit more used to the approach and are simply um, – you know, uh, have, have adjusted to his use of the slider, which was somewhat unique last year when he started throwing it almost like his fastball. Um, I don't think they're, they're, they're being caught off guard like they were last year. Um, In terms of, you know, results, I I could see like a three, seven ish ERA, the rest of the way Um, he's going to go on a run where he gets some good home run luck. And that's going to, start to drain um, some of what is his, what is, what his ERA excess is right now. Um, But to me, I, I think that even if you went out and tried to get him as a buy low, I think you would struggle with it one because of the Yankee premium. And two, because I think that a lot of times with these types of pitchers, the peripherals, you know, you're looking at the Sierra, you're looking at the XFIP and they're sub four, And, you know, he doesn't walk anybody and the homers look crazy. Um, People get this crazy idea in their head that he is better than he actually is. The homers are always going to be an issue. He pitches in Yankee stadium. He's, he's a guy that gives up homers. He's, he's done it for the last couple of years now at, you know, near a league leading rate. It's not a problem that's going to solve itself. So, I mean, if you can get him for what his value is right now, or, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe like a top 60 arm, I would buy it because I think he's going to be a top 40 ish arm at the end of the year. But, yeah, but- I, I just, I struggle to buy him, you know, at the level where people, I believe, generally sell him.
0: All right. But your projection, like you said, could end like 3.7 ish, right? ERA. All right. No, like I said
2: the rest of the way his ERA could be
0: 3.7. All right, so rest of the way, let's just say it's three point seven. Let's just say rest of the way. So you trade for which would put
2: him, which would put him around like I guess about a four. Right? Yeah. About. All right. Well, listen. My point is this: if
0: if he does come, let's just say, let's say he finishes the year with a four ERA, right? It's coming mm-hmm. with with top of the line whip. Very, very, very good ratios. So elite whip, elite wins. If you're in a K to walk, which you're probably not because we're the only ones at 2K to walk, elite. Um, I I just – and you're saying that he was overvalued as far as ADP goes on draft day, but if you look at the cluster of guys that were around that ADP and how much all of them are struggling right now with Quintana, Castillo, uh, Luke Weaver. All the guys in that class are all underperforming. Um, so I don't know what your vendetta is against Tanaka, but I mean he's kind of in the same class of all those guys. They've all been terrible this year. Whereas Tanaka has actually been better than all those guys.
2: And I don't know,
0: you you just have something against Masahiro Tanaka.
2: I, I it's not that I have something against him. It's just I just generally think that he's a player that. People want to project to be, you know, a borderline ace. And really, in all honesty, he's more of like a three four um in terms of his actual output. At least recently. Okay. And I mean the fact that the people that are around him weren't any good doesn't really absolve him of the fact that he's probably not as good as people make him out to be. At least think, in my
1: opinion. I think saying he's a top 40 pitcher for the rest of the way is, I think, not generous. I think that's fine. Uh, I think he could perform slightly better than that. So if you value him as that, then great, you're good to go. Yeah, I probably I don't I have him in any of my leagues, so I wasn't taking him as the 24th starting pitcher off the board because there's just too much risk involved with it. But I do think he's better than he's performing right now.
2: Yeah. OK, Michael Waka. Waka's having the best season of his career in terms of results. Do you think he will continue to have success? Are you looking at him as a top 25 arm going forward? Van, why don't you kick us off here?
1: No, I I am not looking at him as a top 25 arm. He's still walking way too many, 3.52 walks per nine, strikes out too few at 7.87k per nine, and ERA indicators believe he's in the 342 to 427 range instead of the 247 ERA like he has. There's going to be a huge correction period coming The uh, home run to fly ball rate is several points down from what it was in his career. I think that's going to tick up because he doesn't have blow it by you stuff, though. He has made some changes to his pitch mix. The fastball usage is down about 10 percent. He's up the cutter. He's up the curveball. He's up all his breaking pitches and his off speed pitches. But I think this is more just a case of hitters adjusting now. And I think this second half, second, third, two-thirds of the season is going to be a big adjustment period, and I just don't have any interest in him. I I think he's going to get lit up a couple of times and kind of do the Dylan Bundy where he's got a few of those starts where he gives up seven, eight runs, and then have a few starts where he's pretty good. Uh, But I would expect a four to four-and-a-half ERA guy the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that uh, he'll end up – his the ERA will end up being somewhere around where it was last year, which is just over four. Um, he doesn't generate enough swing and miss. Uh, he relies on poor contact, and I just think that the um, uh, good luck has been on his side the first couple of months, and it's going to sell, sell now while you have the chance.
2: Yeah, I'll make it a clean sweep. I don't buy it at all. Um, he's probably going to add some more case to what he's got right now. But even then, he's like an 8.25 guy in terms of per nine without elite control. Um, So at that point, he's entirely dependent on keeping the ball in the yard and limiting success on balls in play. Career-wise, Waka is a 290 BABIP guy. This year, he's at 240. Um, In his career, he's at 0.82 homer per nine guy. He's currently at 0.59. Um, So he's got regression coming in both those areas, according to his career averages. And that doesn't even account for the fact that he's giving up the worst quality of contact for his entire career. Um, He's at 43.2% hard contact allowed, nearly a 30% line drive rate. Um, If those do not, you know, change over time, that profile doesn't bode well for him. Um, You know, I see Waka. I saw Waka pre-draft as about a top 40, 45 guy, Right now, I probably put him top fifty, maybe at best. I don't know. Where are you guys on him? And and would you you guys would obviously sell Waka for Tanaka if you could, right? Oh my god! In a I would.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, top fifty is about right. I think draft season he was. Per fan tr- uh track, 63rd overall. Yeah, I was uh, a little higher
2: on him than the
1: NEP. But I'll give him a little I'll give him a little benefit of the doubt just because he has performed so well. So I'll bump him in the mid fifties, uh maybe 51, 52 at best, because there's guys like G. or Tyron Walker, you know, obviously who's hurt that you could put him in front of. So I'll put him right around there and that's fine by me. I'm probably going to just avoid him, but if I'm in some deep need for some innings, he's a guy I could look at targeting because he will come fairly cheap. I think unless somebody out there truly believes it and wants to overpay.
2: Yeah. Okay. Zach Godley. Godley was drafted as about a top 25 arm in some circles, but it's been a mess to this point. He did put together a good start in cores, but only after he was obliterated by the giants earlier last week. Is there hope for a turnaround, or is it time to cash out? Nick, give us your take. So, yeah, so uh,
0: you dumped Godley in, in our home league, and I spent a pretty uh, a pretty penny to pick him up. Um, so I believe there is a chance for him to bounce back, and it's all about the velo. Uh, and I watched the last start at Coors, and velo it wasn't up the entire game, but he was hitting 83-84 on the curveball more consistently than I've seen uh, the last, you know, 10 or so games, but pretty much the, the, the entire beginning of the season. So, look, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that at some point the velo comes back and he can get packed back to 83, you know, consistently hitting 83 with the curve and, uh, you know, get the sinker up to 92 or 91 and a half. Uh, once that happens, then he'll be fine. Uh, it's just a matter of him finding the velo. Everything else is the same.
1: I'm pretty pessimistic about him. I didn't really, I didn't note him anywhere because I had no interest in him at the beginning of this year. I thought he was being taken as a top what twenty five outfield or starting pitcher, and that's just yeah. Crazy. He was in the
2: twenty five to thirty range.
1: Crazy to me. I just I hadn't seen the prolonged success, and last year just looked a little fluky. That his pitch mix is is kind of weird. And I just didn't believe it. I believed more he was closer to the 2016 levels than he was at 2017 levels. And that's what he's done this year is he's gone back closer to the 2016 levels. The home runs ticked up a bit, even with the humidor taking, you know, the home runs down. The walks are bad, so he could improve his command a little bit, uh, hopefully back to last year's levels. And that'll increase his, well, everything, ERA and everything will go down. But I, a lot of people saw him as becoming the next, maybe not ace, but 1A and that's just crazy. Talk to me. I think he's at best a number three or possibly a number two, but I'm not going to pay expecting that because I just don't think you're going to get it. I just don't think he has the raw stuff to do it. Uh, but he is striking out about a batter in and inning. But those the commands, the big thing, he's got to get the walks under control and he's got to quit giving up so many home runs. And if he's giving up the home runs in the humidor, then, you know, maybe he's just going to be home run prone.
2: Yeah, I cashed out last week, as Nick mentioned. I had enough after the Giants start. The velocity's down. He's never been successful without the velocity. Um, And that's really the key there um, year over year. I mean, in 2016, he was throwing right around where he's throwing now. In 2017, he ticked up to 93, 94. I believe he was even throwing 95 steady early last year and it just hasn't been there this year and i don't see a reason for it to come back unless he's hiding an injury um which i believe is what you're hoping for at this point um he's also uh, has lacked command on his curveball so you know maybe he finds that if he if he does find the curveball i mean i could see him being like a high 3 era guy but even then the whip's not going to be great um because he's more of a ground baller. So he's going to give up some hits, Um, you know, because he gets the command of the curveball back also doesn't mean that the walks are going to go away. Um, You know, command is not control. Um, So I I don't know. I, I just think that he's a player that's, that's really struggled and there's are good reasons why he struggled. So at this point, if you want to take a flyer, like Nick did, I'm okay with it. But if you're also holding him and you've had enough, I'm also okay with moving on because there's not really much of a sign that this is going to change. I didn't see anything in the course start that made me think that it's some kind of sea change. The velocity was 90, 91. Um, That's where he's been for most of the year. So, um, you know, I think he just probably, you know, had some regression catch up to him in that start on the positive end. And, you know, it's, I, I just don't buy it the rest of the way. Is he roster? So he's I think he's definitely a roster bull in 12 team leagues. You
0: guys think he's roster bull in 12 team leagues? Like should he be rostered?
1: I think he's <sighs> fringy. I think he's a guy, a spot start guy. And I so, think
2: some I think someone should own him in a 12 team league. It doesn't mean he should be owned on every team. And so 10 team leagues definitely not. Yeah, definitely I, I wouldn't. Not.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't deal with him in a 10 team league. See, I feel like this year like right now the pitching is so top heavy. Like there's a a crop of like pitchers that are pitching well and then it's just a bunch of crap. Yeah. Like a lot of guys, it's, it's just like a bad year for pitching. So I don't know. I kind of, I, I i like Godley. I, I i would think that he should be rostered in 10 team leagues, the way pitch, the way pitching looks right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to make an upside play, I hear you, but I don't know. I just don't know that the upside is that significant without the velocity. He's, he's got to find that. And I don't know that I see a path for that to come. All right, Rush Stripling. Stripling looks like this year's Godley with an out-of-nowhere surge that has him producing like an ace. Do you think he will suffer a similar fate to Godley uh, last year or will or, or will his results level off? Uh, Nick, why don't you kick us off? Yeah,
0: so look, Stripling has been pretty damn good. The ratios are phenomenal. He is, the K rate is over 10. The walk rate is under 2, um, and he, he looks great. The ERA is justified. Uh, going forward, look, it could just be a flash in the pan, but he's generating a lot of swing and whiff right now on three different pitches, the slide of the curveball and the change are all working really well. Uh, and the curve and the, and the four seamers been nice. So, uh, he's got three good pitches. He doesn't throw the change enough to really call it a fourth pitch, but when he does throw it, it works. Um, I like him. I think he's definitely worth a stash right now. And I think, um, you should buy him before. I think, like I said, I think the ERA is justified, so I don't think he's going to crash and burn anytime soon. So buy him now.
1: That's a fair statement, and it's yeah, still, it,
0: it's still raw stripling. You know what I mean?
1: It is, and yeah, the one six five—that's that's not what we're going to see. But we're going to see a pretty good pitcher at least going forward with the rest of the season. And if you look at his underlying stats and everything, he's throwing the same pitches the same amount of times as he always has. But there's one huge difference, and I did a little research to uh, to read about this. Some coach that he was talking to said that he needs to just throw his curveball and his slider hard because he was taking off so he'd have better control. So that's what he did is he just started throwing the curveball and slider as hard as he could. And that extra velocity may have lost some control, but he still has enough good control that the velocity gains on those two breaking pitches have increased their viability. And that simply alone has made him a very, very viable pitcher. So that's increased the swinging strike rates. It's increased the strikeout rates altogether. The walks, as long as they remain under control like they are, at 165, even if he goes up to 27 like he had in uh, 2016, he's still going to have some pretty, pretty good stuff if he manages to keep the velocity on the breaking pitches and everything holds together. So I'm definitely buying him as a guy to have plug on your lineup and let him pitch the rest of the year because he's going to be good this season. I think he could be pretty good, maybe at the early part of next season, but then there could be a, a change, you know, people adjust, but we need to just kind of see how it plays out. But as of right now, I'm buying in.
2: Yeah, I'm also buying in. He, he's definitely a pitcher that appears capable of sustaining um, a borderline elite level of success at this point. Um, he's pounding the zone, generating swings and misses. It's not walking anyone. Those are great attributes. It's a really strong foundation for a starting pitcher. Um in addition to that, the quality of the contract, the contact has been really strong. Uh, soft contact percentage is near elite, and he's limiting hard contact at an elite level as well. Um, I, I think the homers are going to rear their head before long. He gave up two in his last start, but if he can limit the walks and the hits, there's not going to be anybody on base for the homers to hurt him. Um, yeah, I view uh, Russ Stripling as like a probably a top 30 starter the rest of the way. Would you guys agree with that, or are you a little higher on him?
1: Um. Yeah, 25 to 30, I think, is, is a decent statement. I think that's fair. And then if you get better production, it's gravy.
2: Yeah, I'm in the 30-ish range as well. Okay, let's move to our player spotlight. Van, why don't you kick us off with the player that's caught your eye?
1: Yeah, I just want to kind of point out Jose Burrios. Uh, I think a lot of people are still disappointed in Jose Burrios because he's not putting up like Guardian numbers from when CinderGuard came up because he was that ace rookie Uh, But he's put together a really good season. He's got 83 and two-thirds innings, a 9.04 K per nine, 151 walks per nine, 366 ERA, and then the ERA estimators like him, too, at 3.29 FIP, 3.43 XFIP, and 3.30 Sierra. So everything points to him being a pretty good pitcher. He isn't that elite ace yet because he's not striking out 10 or 11 per nine. But I think for the cost you paid, you have to be pretty happy with the strides he's made this year to become a very solid, middle-of-the-road, good pitcher. And considering he's only, what, 24, there's still plenty of room for improvement. So I could see even like a Garrett Richards-style huge, or I'm sorry, a Garrett Cole-style huge step up maybe next season or so, where he does become that ace. So this is a guy that I'm going to be targeting in virtually any league I can get a hold of him in. And I have him in several leagues this year, and I'm more than thrilled. But I do feel that there are a lot of people out there that are just disappointed with what they're getting out of Jose Barrios, and I I just think that's crazy talk.
2: Well, it's kind of funny because he sort of fits into that class that Nick mentioned with Tanaka. And I mean, at least from a redraft context, he's been one of the few in that class that hasn't been Um, you know, disappointing to an obscene level. Mm -hmm. And you would think that that would uh, um, keep his value a little bit higher, but I agree with you. I don't think that he's a player that's, um, you know, got any kind of premium to him at this point. And I think some of that comes from the fact that he struggled right away a couple of years ago, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but I I think it's true. I think he still kind of carries the stigma, as you said, as you know, he wasn't Cindergaard who came right up and was, dominant right away
1: we still have a lot of that stigma in in baseball this day and age if your top prospect doesn't come up and immediately become you know a top 15 player in baseball then people back off and they're like well he's just not that good this takes time to develop sometimes so exercise caution if you truly believe in the talent don't let one season tell you that he's nothing when you know his velocity is still there when the pitches still break like crazy Think of him as the same way you thought of him, but allow him time to grow and learn.
2: Okay, Nick, let's move to your first player.
1: All right, Van is
0: going to appreciate this. So let's talk about Ian Kinsler for a second here. Um, a lot of guys abandoned ship. He was off to a bad start this year over the last... You year. had
2: abandoned ship.
0: What? You
2: had said he was fried bad. right around three weeks ago.
0: I don't know if I said he was fried. <laughs> Did I use the word Fried. You might have said toast.
1: <laughs> uh, Various think. cooked words. Hey, yeah.
0: Hey, regardless, this has been an Ian Kinsler-loving podcast over the last couple of years. And this year, pre-draft, we were all over Kinsler. And this is exactly why what he's doing right now. Over the last month, 14 runs scored, 6 home runs, 12 RBIs, 3 steals. Um, the average is jumping up. The OPS is jumping up. He's starting to look like Ian Kinsler again. And he's solidified at that. Leadoff spot on a very, 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 very good lineup. Um, right now, he looks great, and he's got eight home runs and six steals on the year already. And let's not forget, he is last year he went 22-14. The year before that, he went twenty fourteen. If he does it on this team, he is easily going to come close to or eclipse a hundred runs. Um, so, and, he, and the percentage, uh, the owner, the ownership percentage is still low. So go out and get him while you can, and he is going to produce. I am really liking what I'm seeing from Ian Kinsler at the moment.
1: Babbitt's way down. If that even gets close to his career mark of 283, he could hit 260, 270 easily, and there you go. Boom, you've got a ton of value. Yeah, it's
0: 212
2: right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were on him before the year began. Um, you know, he's he's been a player that, for whatever reason, has had some... Uh, poor Babbitt block over the last year and a half. But to me, uh, he's totally worth buying for the upside at the top of that lineup. And, um, you know, now he's hitting the cover off the ball. So hopefully things are turning, um, you know, but he can provide some power, some speed. And like you said, the average shouldn't be too bad. And in OBP, he can walk a bit. So, you know, he can get that OBP right around 330, like a 260 average. He's He's money. All right. My first player is Matt Strom. Um, I've been on Strom for a while now. Uh, Joe and I scooped him up in the Dynasty League uh, when his prospects' pedigree really started to rise a couple of years ago. Uh, he's got plus velocity from the left side and a devastating curve. Uh, he's been operating a San Diego's opener for the last few weeks. He actually pitched tonight uh, three innings, was clean. Uh, I believe he had three or four strikeouts. Um, there's been cl- conflicting reports as to whether Strom is going to end up in the rotation. Uh, officially at some point this year or whether he will get a shot next year. The talk out of San Diego has been exceedingly positive on him since spring training. Uh, You watch him when he's on and it's easy to see why. Uh, If I'm in a dynasty league, I think you should grab him if he's unowned deep leagues. I also might make the, um, make the ad at this point because I think there's probably a 50, 50 shot. He's going to get a legitimate chance. In the San Diego rotation before the year is out, and I'm talking a legitimate chance, like go beyond three innings in <laughs> a start in this opener role, which he's been in. Um, but the, the VLO has been there this year um, in the starting capacity. I think he's maintained it. Um, he's tossing about 94 with about a 77 mile per hour curveball, um, you know, and he's the he's got the type of curveball that he can make it work just with those two pitches um, if he needs to. Uh, He's had some struggles with walks coming out of the bullpen. He hasn't had those um, in this opener role. Um, If he can keep those under control, if he can have the control in San Diego, I think he can definitely be a plus asset. He has the upside to be um, a very, very good starting pitcher.
1: There's always health. If he's healthy, because they have those years of we don't know what's going to happen. Right now, the results are there. The stuff looks good. So if he's healthy, I mean, I think he could be a really good piece.
2: Okay, Van. Why don't you give us your second guy?
1: Uh, Second guys. I'm gonna lump a couple in here for you, and I just kind of want to hear what you guys have to say about these two. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I wrote an article for Fantrax about my 2019 season top 10 picks, basically based on what's happened this far this season. And two Cleveland Indians players made it onto the list, and that's Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor. I think they were four and five, respectively. Pretty sure they were four and five, or five and six. Uh, so I'm curious to see what you guys think about the two of them. Uh, Ramirez for me, i will just going to lead it off. Currently has 19 homers, 8 steals, hitting two ninety. He's a guy that's going to go 30-20. He's going to walk a lot, striving a lot of runs, score a lot of runs and he's 25 years old. He's young. Lindor was always the defensive whiz shortstop who suddenly became a shortstop with power and steals. So I think he's a 30-20 guy who uh, maybe hits for a 280 average, doesn't quite walk as much as Ramirez, but both have immense value. So would you agree with their placement on that list and or where do you think they should go? Uh,
0: all right, so I own both guys in mine and Pat's own league. Um, I had Ram- I had Lindor as the number two overall shortstop uh, going into the season, but really it was number two like by a hair. So he was almost my number one overall shortstop. I'm a big believer in the game. Uh, I believe that the power is real. Last year's 33 home runs, a lot of analysts uh, uh, said it was a fluke. Uh, I said it was more real. The guy makes great contact, um, and he could really turn his swing into power when he wants. Uh, he He turn that switch on and off whenever he wants. As far as Ramirez, same thing. This is a guy who coming up was a great contact hitter, is now turning great contact into great power. Uh, so I'm a big believer in both guys. I think that Lindor is a future uh, first-round pick, and I think Ramirez will be on the cusp. Uh, Ramirez, I mean, Lindor is a shortstop, so he gets that bump, but I think Ramirez will be like right around the 12th, 13th overall pick. They're, they're, they're both studs.
2: I think I would probably agree with Ramirez being in there. I think I would might push Lindor out. I think Lindor's profile – lends itself to a little more streakiness. Um, I, I think Ramirez is a little bit of a better hitter overall. Um, you know, we've seen it with the average blend um, door looks more like a 275 type to me. Uh, I think that, Oh, wow. Uh, Miguel Cabrera out for the season. Just came across my screen. Oh man. Oh um, no. Yeah. Surgery needed out for the season. Wow. Um, so, I, as I was saying, though, but I, I think Ramirez is a little bit better, more skilled of a hitter. I think I'm more confident in the batting average there. Um, I think the power and the speed on, on both is going to be comparable. I think there are about 30 homer bats with, you know, 15 ish on the best case, 20 steals upside. Um, the lineup is awesome. They're obviously paired together. Um, but I think I'll take a little more production over the scarcity because I don't think shortstop is that sca- as scarce as it once was. So fair enough,
0: Pat. Do you like you in a vacuum. Um, you like Trey, Trey Turner over Lindor. Oof. Van, what about um, you? Who would you rather have in a Good vacuum? question?
1: That's a very tricky question, yeah. Uh, the speed that Turner gives you is immense, but we're also seeing chinks in his armor, whereas Lindor continues to overperform what I would expect. I think I'm going to go Lindor just because I think he's a long-term shortstop who provides across-the-board talent, but I also believe that Trey Turner every year could outperform Lindor fairly easily just because of his elite speed, but I also think he could have, he's more prone to stretches of struggling. So you said vacuum? You would take Lindor? I think I would. That's a tough uh, one. Yeah, I think I would. I think,
2: I'll, I think I'll go with that as well. Um, you know, Turner's been a guy that everybody has sort of wanted to put in that upper upper echelon, and I haven't bought it so far, and he hasn't given me reason to buy it at this point. Um, he's certainly a top end fantasy asset, but I think I feel a lot safer with Lindor. Um, than I do with Turner. And And, I think there's something to be said for that safety.
1: And what about Correa? Correa or Lindor? Uh, It's Lindor, no question for me. I think it's Lindor at this point.
0: So is Lindor the number one overall shotstop in fantasy?
1: He was on my list, and I think he is. Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool.
2: I think so. Okay, Nick, who's your uh, second guy?
1: All right, second
0: guy, John Gray. Let's talk about John Gray for, Gray for a second. Uh, me and Joe were obsessed with this guy going into the year, and he has gotten abused, absolutely abused, start to start. Um, but he's striking out the world, and he's not walking guys. Um, so I, I think this guy is just a month away from that ERA going from 5'6'6 six, six to like four and change. And then he's definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, rosterable and valuable because of the K upside right now. The league is, has a 379 babab against them. It's going to come down Buy John Gray while you can. He's the own the percentage ownership right now is, is at an all time low on the guy. And I think it could be had for peanuts. And this is the time to go out and buy it. The stuff is good. Um, I know he plays at cores and it's tough to own a pitcher that plays in cores, but Uh, The breaking stuff is good enough where he's going to continue to generate swing and miss. He's going to continue to get keys and he's going to get some wins as well. So John Gray, buy him low.
2: I can, I can get on board with buying him low. um, But it's all about where you believe he's going to be for the rest of the season. Um, You know, I I just think that you've got to kind of put him at, you know, upper threes to four ERA for you know, in terms of his pace, the rest of the way Uh, he's a guy that just hasn't had the sort of batted ball success um, that makes me think that suddenly everything is going to turn around for him. Um, You know, whether it's an issue where it's cores or it's, he's a different pitcher on the road because of cores or whatever the reasoning is at this point in his career, he's just been a guy that's been hittable um and whose batted balls have turned into hits on him so i i don't think that you can regress him to any kind of um you know peripheral with the expectation that he's gonna get better luck um you know at some point the skills will win out but i i would have to put him at like a three eight three nine four era sort of similar to what i'm saying about tanaka except Gray's issue isn't the home runs. It's the balls in play.
1: Van, what do you think about Gray? I love Gray, uh, but I'm perplexed by him because you're right. It isn't the home runs. He's got a .90 home run per nine rate. The BABIP's at three seventy nine, so there's your problem. But the strikeouts are there. The walks are good his pitches are amazing. He has a great arsenal. I just don't understand why he's been as bad as he is. I think he's going to be far better. I think uh, you're probably right, Pat. That's kind of what you look at, maybe a 370 ERA guy the rest of this year. But for his career, I still think the hype is there. And he he could be a 3-2 ERA, even pitching in cores. And if you as a savvy owner, you know, start him when you should and when you shouldn't. If you got him for a good enough price, you can really wring some value out of him. So I like Gray a lot. And if I've tried to buy him low, a lot of guys aren't selling him low. But if you can get him, definitely, I'd take a flyer on him.
2: Do you know what the career BABIP is, man, if you have
1: it up in front of you? 338.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't a one-year thing. This is a guy that's always struggled with giving up hits. So Yeah, but 380, that's a big jump. Oh yes, absolutely. He's got some, he's got some good stuff coming his way, but I I don't know. I, it's, it's just, it just seems to me like he's going to always have those blowups because of that issue. Yeah. But also,
0: I mean, did you draft John Gray to get, to get you a, a three, five ERA or did you draft him to potentially get you like 190 plus strikeouts and really good People,
2: people were drafting him. For the purpose of, I believe, getting like a three five three six ERA, and that's not what you're going to get. I mean, I, what did you draft him for?
0: I mean, I listen. I drafted him the eighth round when I was lacking keys, and I'm like, oh, here's a guy who could get me two hundred plus if he throws a hundred and you know eighty plus innings. Um, but even if he gets you. 200 k's if he has a 566 six era then you know at the end of the year i don't know if that's truly really rosterable um but listen he has
2: an eight 8- no 8- not at a 566 yeah he has yeah five, <laughs> five five
0: six six is never rosterable but he has eight four nine era over his last five starts uh he's just gotten absolutely abused so uh, as far as the buy low um I mean, I'm trying to think of a name, right? Some names to throw out there, like who you could offer for Gray. Like, what's the John Gray line right now? Like, what could you send someone's way
1: for, for Okay, let me, let me ask you this then. All right, so which struggling pitcher would you rather have on your team, Luis Castillo or John Gray?
0: That's a tough one. That's really tough because I like both pitchers. And I'm, uh, here's the thing. Both of those guys are similar where they both completely pass the eye test with flying colors. You know the breaking stuff is just so ridiculous. There's so much movement, and when they're on, they're absolute filth and unhittable. Um, with Castillo, he's been on. A, he's he's been on another level of bad because he's also walking guys a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, where that's not really Gray's Gray's problem, and, and where Castillo hasn't has hasn't really been lucky. His ERA is justified. Gray has been more unlucky. Um, but going forward, I think I'd. Ooh, I think I'd rather take. Gray by a hair.
2: I yeah, I think I'd rather have
0: Gray because you know <laughs> you're getting the keys. And he's go ahead, Ben.
2: I was just gonna say with Castillo, like I feel like I've watched him, I've watched him a lot, and it looks to me like he just doesn't have any kind of command. Like he looks like a minus minus command guy to me right now, and that's just not gonna work. Like he doesn't look like he can work. You know the zone at all. I mean he's middle, middle, way too much to me. And he's another guy. Like, you're on the Reds. Like, you're on the Cincinnati
0: Reds. Like, why can't they send him down for a little bit? (laughs) Like, everyone is so reluctant in 2018, 2017 to send these guys down. I I just... I would have did it a month ago. He's got to figure his stuff out. Castillo's got the stuff. So, I'd buy low on both guys, though.
2: Yeah, and I mean, as far as, like, a name that's pitched well, would you do... Caleb Smith. I'd rather have gray. I'd rather have
0: gray as well, but I do like Caleb.
2: I think I would rather have gray as well. What about Tyler Skaggs? I'd rather have gray and, yeah. and, uh, Castillo.
1: I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'd rather have gray on that one. And I do like Skaggs, but I think there's some regression coming there. I don't think the strikeout potential is there with him. Whereas gray does have it.
2: All right. One more name, Jake Junis.
1: <laughs> I'll stick with gray.
2: Ooh. Um, yeah, I'll stick with Gray as well.
0: I'm, I'm going to stick with Gray. I'm going to stick with Gray, but I do like Junis a lot.
2: Okay, my last guy, Dustin Fowler. Uh, I liked Fowler before the year began as an intriguing power speed guy with leadoff potential uh, at the top of a sneaky good lineup. It's taken some time to unfold. The lineup is sneaky good, uh, but Fowler coming off an injury, took some time in the minors to shake off the rust. Across 55 games between AAA and Major League Baseball, Um, Fowler has seven homers and 12 steals. That's well beyond the sort of pace I expected. I I had him pegged for like a 15, 20 type. Um, he's killing the ball in a small sample. He's found his way to the top of ACE lineups versus right-handed pitching. If he keeps that role, I think he's a mixed league relevant player and needs to be added now in 12 team formats. Do you guys agree with that? 100%
1: I love Dustin Fowler he's a target that I've had for a while I've got him in a couple dynasty leagues good blend of speed and power and I think now that he's figured out we're seeing what he can do as far as hitting for average doesn't walk a whole lot so he does need to hit for average but after a really rocky start they once they quit batting him in ninth overall in the lineup uh, he started to hit and he's hitting well now so we've seen that average really climb up there and the power has really shown up so I'm all in 100%.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm 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 on the cusp. Um you know the OBP is a bit worrisome. He's under three hundred. Um and the walk rate, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be low. Uh year to year uh minors and it's translating into the majors now. Um, you know, he doesn't walk much, but he doesn't strike out much. So I don't know. I'm I'm on the cusp. The power speed is intriguing though.
2: All right. I think that wraps it up for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. Van, let them know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work again, please. Twitter,
1: you can find me at ManlyBanly. You can shoot me whatever tweets you want, and I will ignore them. Uh, You can also find my written work on (laughs) FantraxHQ.com. I write about anything and everything that comes to my mind and then of course check out my other podcasts the nasty cast the Fantrax tracks baseball podcast and the launch angle podcast all hosted on Fantrax hq
2: and nick let them know where they cannot find you
0: <laughs> you could find me never tweeting on twitter at <laughs> yeah, you know what maybe one day i'll get back into it i don't know i'm just i'm out on the twitterverse lately but you can find me at nick
2: fwo and that was a that was a ringing endorsement right there <laughs> and as you guys know you can find me at patrick fwo uh can't recommend van's work enough thank you so much for coming on van we really appreciate it
1: thanks for having me glad we finally got to uh, get together after a couple of setbacks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: all right thanks so much for listening guys we'll be back next week peace
1: sally beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home Get everything you need
0: to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty.